Welcome to Saga Craft. Myths, fairy tales, legends, stories comfort us, inspire us, and heal us. Please join us as we share stories, both old and new. More than anything, we are open to the story and its unfolding. At times, it may be one story told by one person. At times, it's the same story told through three different voices. In the end, we go where the story takes us, and we invite you to follow. I'm C, a writer, artist, and storyteller. I'm Betsy, a medium and teacher of mystery traditions. I'm Gabriella, an artist and practitioner of folk magic. We, we are, are magical, magical fairy godmothers, godmothers in, in training. training. Today's stories are about magical dolls. In Europe, these magical dolls are called puppets. Or motankas. You want to lead? Uh, okay. Dolls were for plastic girls. That's what she believed, because it was the opposite of what they told her. Years later, she would wonder if this is what kept her searching for truth. They told her that real girls loved dolls and encouraged her to do the same, to prove she was a real girl. They gave her a doll. It was cold and plastic. Plastic like the girls who laid on the beach without swimming in the ocean. There were gashes where its elbows should be. She dreamt of a world of wholeness in which her home was a castle of colored crystals that refracted off the white marble streets, creating rainbow bridges. She longed for blocks. Blocks she could use to build her world here. Her world. A world without plastic. She begged for them. Every holiday, every celebration, every guilty payoff for parental malfeasance. She pleaded for blocks. She got dolls. Dolls she swiftly lost. First, she tucked them in on the fire escape out of her bedroom window on the back of the house until a gust of wind turned bed to bridge and a plastic body dove past the kitchen window. Then she'd hide them under the earth in the cemetery across the back alley until a torrential downpour turned ground to swamp and a plastic hand clawed its way to the surface. When they tugged only the arm emerged, no one excavated the rest of the synthetic corpse from the organic tomb. But the next doll was buried in the house the day her brother received the blocks. She had pointed them out. They were colored glass, the most beautiful thing she had ever seen. He said she could use them, so she started to build her castle. The sunlight streaming through the window refracted a moat of rainbow light and her heart soared. But when they saw her, when they saw her, they came for the blocks. She grabbed them, grasping them tightly in her small fists, screaming and thrashing. It took three of them two to hold her down and one to pry her dreams from her soft hands. They put them out of reach until she got them, then out of sight until she found them. Then they were given away. It was better to deprive him than allow her. The most recent doll had long red hair and gaping holes where its hips should be. She took it to the back bedroom. There she plied up a loose floorboard that could hold the doll down. But when she moved the board, she found crumpled gingham. She tugged on the fabric, sliding it out from between the slats. It was a doll, but it was not plastic. It was soft. 
She heard her name and quickly forced the new abomination in, returning the floorboard before putting the rag doll under her mattress and going to lunch. While others made dinner, she headed back to the room to examine the soft doll. She picked it up and held it against her chest. It was soft and warm, pliable and whole. She kissed it and felt it kiss back. She peered into its tiny violet eyes and felt it peering back. She spoke to it and heard it silently answer. She apologized when she needed to return it to the mattress and secretly slept with that. In the morning, she would tell it her dreams and her nightmares. In the afternoon, she would tell it her dreams and her daymares. In the evenings, she would turn herself over to its care. First, the nightmares became fewer. Then even the daymares began to wane. Her love for it, however, only waxed. Then one night, she woke at midnight in despair. She told her doll she wanted to drink, but was afraid to go downstairs. She was ashamed of her own ambitions. A few minutes later, she found herself quaking as she navigated the narrow stairwell. When she got to the kitchen, she drank a full glass of water, surprised by her thirst. The next night, she woke again, shivering. She felt humiliated, but needed to try. When she got up her courage, she told the doll she wanted to create her own world. Nothing changed. Why would it, she thought, and sighed before she went back to sleep. Years later, she laughed about this. So many, many nights went by until, in the heart of winter, she dreamt of her world with its translucent castles and rainbow bridges and woke filled with joy and contentment. Frowning, she sat up cross-legged on her bed and faced her doll. Gathering up her soul, she looked her straight in the embroidered eye and told her doll she wanted to create her world, not her world that already existed, but the world within her, the world she could touch only in her dreams. She tore open first her mind, then her heart, desperately wanting to show her contents. It looked like the greasy tar the construction workers poured over the alley, but she forged ahead. She shoveled the hot, heavy filth out of her before scrubbing it off with the rough gems she found beneath. Hour after hour, she cleaned and cleared. She honed until she finally fell asleep. In the morning, the doll was gone, and she began building and rebuilding her world from the block she had excavated from within her. Wow, that was powerful and beautifully written and inspiring and sad and so many things. Thank you. I love the spirit of this girl. I'm making a guess that it's a girl. And I love how fiercely she fought for the things she wanted, but was not meant to have. And I'm curious, was the doll always there? Or was the doll something she had summoned somehow? Or was the doll there as a response? That is a great question that just gives me chills. I do mm -hmm. not know if the doll was there before she called it, before she plied up the floorboards. I don't know if the doll was under them. I only know it was when she did it. It's a beautiful story. I really, really enjoyed it. I liked the girl, but I also really liked the spirit of the doll, too. There's something really 
more magical about dolls made of cloth. There is a very different world for those dolls and a different feel to them altogether. Yeah. Not only a friend and a guide, but in this story, like a saviorist also. It was uh, somehow representative of hope. Like there are people who are different. There are things who are different. What happened to the doll? I don't know. I wonder. She went away. Imagine she went to fiercely save another soul somewhere. (laughs) An itinerant puppet. Lovely. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Tetsu, would you like to share your story? Thank you. Mine's called The Home Country Poppet. Emma, sensitive to the energies that objects held, was aware that she felt a certain kind of restlessness that hadn't been present before she received the inherited antiques and belongings from her Aunt Addie. She'd pushed the restless feeling to the back of her consciousness because she was so busy and because the complicated feelings she had about her family weren't conducive to getting her work done. When her deadline came and went and she'd completed her segment of the work without a need for further edits, she decided to methodically go through the objects that had come on the truck for her from her aunt. Mercifully, most of the furniture had gone to Addie's children with the exception of the lady's writing desk that Addie had inherited from Emma's mother at the time of her death 20 years earlier. The late Georgian walnut desk looked a little out of place amongst her own white painted Scandi look. Aunt Addie's letter had specifically mentioned that the desk had been what she had wanted most from her elder sister's property. Now that she herself was gone, she wanted the desk to go to Emma. The desk had come from England with the Penwarden family from Cornwall more than a hundred years ago. It had been purchased, perhaps even as a commission, when the family had been prosperous. Years later, that time of prosperity had reversed and most of the family had emigrated to the United States, taking the desk with them. Emma found that to be a little odd, that the family left at a time of some sort of financial reversals, and her Aunt Addie had speculated, perhaps there had even been a scandal of some sort. Yet, someone took the time and expense to bring cherished furniture belongings with them. The longer she stood in front of the desk, that didn't seem so strange to Emma, for it exuded a powerful influence over her. She could see how it would have drawn Addie's desire to inherit it from her sister's estate, declaring that it always gone with the eldest Penwarden girl and should by right go to her. Emma had been too young to be able to go against Addie when her mother had died, but she remembered that she cried when it was taken from their home. And it was odd that even though the women of the family had children, None married, or at least if they did, none changed their names, but all kept the Penwarden name. Penwarden girls lived on from the 1750s and perhaps even before, is what Aunt Addie always said. Emma felt the stirring of connection with the Penwarden daughters through the generations as she examined the desk that came from that era. She pulled down the front panel that became the writing surface of the desk. It had a tooled purple leather covering on it. 
kind of like that. She looked the desk up on the internet, finding several pictures of similar desks. Like the desks in the pictures on the internet, this desk had six small drawers at the back. All were empty. Unlike the pictures, instead of a central cabinet space with a lock, there was a panel with a carved design of a tree in full leaf with roots extending into the land and into water. It was covered with dust and grime was caught in the crevices of the carving. Emma tutted to herself about the dirt and then relented that Aunt Addie may not have been up to cleaning and perhaps her eyesight was failing towards the end and she hadn't even seen the dirt. She went to her cupboard to get out furniture polish, Q-tips and a soft cloth. Putting on music, she went to work cleaning the intricate tree. She was absorbed in the grain of the wood revealed by the cleaning and appreciative of the mastery of the carving. She wondered who designed it and what, if any, significance it held for her family. What kind of tree was it? Perhaps it was just simply lovely and desired for its beauty. She fell into a reverie and saw different hands touching the wood panel in her mind's eye. Some hands were slender and youthful like hers, some older and work-toughened or wrinkled and frail. It caught her by surprise when the music ended, leaving empty silence in the room. She heard a long sigh, and it didn't come from her. An image of the bottom of the tree came to mind, and she put her fingers on that part of the tree. As she moved her hand across the roots on the ground and those reaching for water, her fingers fell to difference. One root in particular felt much smoother and had a silky texture. As she probed it with her fingers, a smooth popping sound was heard and a catch was released and the tree panel swung open, revealing an interior space that was filled with something that her eyes couldn't quite believe. As she opened the door with a feeling of wonder, she saw that the space, larger than a shoebox, was filled with small cloth and wood dolls all apparently looking out at her. She sat gazing back at them. They were dressed in an array of clothing that spanned generations. Looking closer, she saw that there seemed to be a progression from past to present time. She recognized with a start the clothing of one doll was made from one of her mother's cotton blouses, worn often and much loved by her. She sat back on her heels. That doll was third from the end. The next doll wore a dress made from her Aunt Addie's clothing that she recognized from summertime. The end doll was wearing a dress made from one of her own dresses that she thought she'd lost or left somewhere. It looked a little like her and like her mother and aunt, and like the dolls of her mother and aunt, was made from knitted yarn. The first doll in the line was dressed in muslin decorated with fine, real lace. The head was wooden and the hair appeared to be real hair put up in a bun. The expression was a little steely, which was different from the next doll, which had more of a dreamy gaze and was dressed in faded and flowered fabric. All in all, there were 11 of them. Emma was reluctant to touch them, and she thought she'd be annoyed with herself later if she didn't document them as they appeared now in the desk. 
She ran to put on the kettle for some restorative tea on her way to fetching her camera. A bit worried, she realized the voice encouraging her to have that tea was not her own. One of them, probably. Them? Was she going a bit crazy? No. She made the tea and retrieved the camera and brought it into the room with the desk. Emma snapped a few pictures from a bit back and then close up. The faces looked even more intense on the photo images. She pulled out a roll of paper towels and draped some across the table, which she drew near to the desk. She first drew out the doll that represented her. It felt strangely alive and somehow potent. Bringing it to her face, she sniffed it and breathed in aromas of lavender and rose. It felt alive and vital in her hands, and she looked at it carefully. Nothing indicating a problem. Even her cheeks were represented as rosy and the face was smiling. Aunt Addie's was very different. It did not have the vital feeling. It did have a scent of spice and cinnamon. It reminded her that market spice tea was Addie's favorite, which Emma privately thought was an abomination of tea, but liked it in this little poppet. She was aware of an adventuresome feeling when she held it, as though adventure was right around the corner. Her mother's poppet was a surprise. The scent with this poppet was of jasmine, white flowers, and tuberose. The perfumed joy lingered around this doll. She felt immense comfort and love emanating from the poppet. The next doll, meant to be her grandmother, was scented with carnation, and this one felt serious and somehow scholarly. She'd inherited this grandmother's attention to detail and quest for knowledge. She wanted to give it a kiss, but held off her concern of preservation. She felt the little doll laughing at her, but not in a mean way. Understanding, but still laughing. The doll's mother, the next doll, was in black and dressed in a dress that was sleek and of the twenties. This one held sorrow for loss of life in the Great War. The one before her was primly dressed and coiffed, a proper lady, though her garments were a little shabby. Redoubtable. Was that even a word? She had it as a quality. The next was also worn-looking, but not as shabby. She held power. No other word for it. Emma felt the power reach for her and tag her, settling over her with a feeling of warmth. Each doll had a quality, a scent, a note that somehow thrummed in the room and in her hands as she held them. She made her way back to the first, and as she now reverently lifted her out of the cabinet, she felt a crackling under the muslin garments, drawing out a page, rolled and tied with a cornflower blue ribbon. Emma carefully unrolled the note, able now to both hear this ancestress and to read the beautifully written words. She was surprised to feel a slender piece of wood shaped like a sinuous human form fall into her palm. It was mostly smooth, but also had places where a little wood was shaved off, circling around a little carving, which was most definitely male. The note read, Penwarden is a name that honors the king of the sacred alder tree. A shaving of alder will shape you. Scent will bring your spirit. With the clothes comes the quality, 
and the dull will hold it all. May you thrive where you're planted. Speak the word fearn and add water and all the strength of alder is yours. Fearn, breathed Emma, trying it. And a little louder. Fearn, she said with more saliva in her mouth. All the doll's heads turned towards her as power filled her from the wood. And Emma heard them say, King Fearn, my king. That was great. Truly. Thank you. I love how it just kept on unraveling layer by layer. And you think, oh, I see what's going on. Oh, oh, now, now I see what's going on. Oh, now I really see what's going on. It was really magical, really exquisite. Thank you. I want to know what you'll do with the power. Right. I think a part of it is that she has to find what her own special quality is. And I was a little hooked because I have an Aunt Addie or I had an Aunt Addie. She was a oh. great aunt, so she's dead. <laughs> I'm so glad I had one too. I love that the smells were in the dolls and and brought up the qualities of people, both good and, and well, human, that they were human qualities preserved by time and memory. I too thought you did a really lovely job with all the scents, but I have to admit that I also felt very concerned about what my doll would smell like. <laughs> I'm glad you had good smelling dolls. Mm. I especially like the market spice one because I have, and I understand the how it, it is both incredibly lovely in some cases and an abomination in others. Equally so. So I'm happy that this was this wasn't part of the story. Uh, people are of one mind or the other with market spice tea. There's no in between. I think oh. it's not an in between kind of tea. Right. I'm also curious to see because it's this relates into an old old lore from southern England, possibly more of England, I don't know for sure, of the power of the King Alder. And it just makes me wonder the allegiance of the Penwarden girls to this Alder King and what that's going to mean for Emma. Mm -hmm. I'm really happy she ended up with that writing desk. And it makes me understand a little bit more why Addie wanted the desk so badly too. There must be something about that king. <laughs> Every Penwarden girl wants to have her time with him. Or wants might not be the right word, I don't know. Is it the king or is it the tree? Or both? King tree, yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Because the, I felt the tree more than I felt anything else in the magic. And especially since didn't one of the dolls have a wooden face? Mm -hmm. The beginning dolls, yeah. yeah. So if we're looking at tree lore here as well, you know, aside from the cloth and the doll, the making of the puppets or dolls, especially ancestral ones, the tree lore of people being married to trees or their souls going into trees or specific kinds of trees also adds another really powerful layer here. 
And it's thought that the, actually even the name Penwarden relates to the alder and comes from that old Welsh and Gaelic word, Fearn, which is another word, which I may not be pronouncing correctly, but which means the alder tree. Well, that's a beautiful story. I really loved it. Thank you. Did you have fun writing it? I did, especially because I had no idea what the end was going to be until I wrote it. And that's always fascinating. <laughs> the, like you were saying, the story is unspooling doll by doll. And to feel Emma first on the outside kind of documenting and then being drawn in doll by doll by doll, ready to read the magic words and say them without maybe totally knowing what was going to happen, without knowing at all what was going to happen. But holding the ancestral memory, memory and willingness to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's key here, too. Yeah, I mean, in my mind's eye, because I saw them sort of ranked and not ranked, but propped up in a row. I also felt received in my mind anyway, that they were linked like paper dolls, you know. Not that all these dolls even necessarily had arms because some puppets don't. Yes, it was lovely. I liked all of the different dolls. I found it a little fascinating how different they were from each other. And you do such an incredible job with descriptions. Very beautiful. Thank you. Well, now, Gabriella, if you're ready. I am ready. Yes. My story is about the Motanka doll. Hanya was running late. She stayed an hour past her shift to help the new nurse get acquainted with the special care patients and their medications. This would have been fine at any other time, but this evening, Hanya actually had a place to go after work other than her home. This evening, she was attending a Slavic Matanka doll workshop, which was an hour across town, but she only had 45 minutes to get there. She would opt out if she had the choice, but since it was already paid for and not by her, she had to go, late or not. This was supposed to be fun, relaxing, she murmured, and she murmured under her breath while rushing through the busy Chicago streets toward the bus station. The wind whistled around her and her hair, making it more disheveled than usual. By some miracle, the bus she was sure she would miss was still sitting at the terminal, waiting for some of the traffic to clear. She waved at the driver desperately and he let her in just before he pulled out of the station. She slowly walked through the long bus with her extra bag trailing behind her awkwardly. Happily, she sat in the middle spot where the bend of the bus was, setting her bag with fabrics next to her. Relieved that she would only be a little late, she finally relaxed a little, her breath slowing to a comfortable sigh. She reached into her bag to look at the printout of the event she was attending. Her coworker, Joan, secured a space for her in this workshop tonight. It was a gift for her 63rd birthday and a very thoughtful, though unnecessary gesture in Hanya's opinion. Joan didn't ask Hanya if she would want to attend, but she knew that most likely her friend would refuse or find an excuse why it wasn't a good idea or how she should spend the money elsewhere, like a domestic violence shelter or food for a homeless person's dog. It's a Motanka doll workshop taught by a Polish woman here in the city 
it will be so great for you to do something traditional to your culture and to have a special evening just for you away from work or house chores. Please, Hanya, it's the least I can do. You have always been so helpful and generous with me. I hope you'll love it. Joan was so excited about this event for Hanya as she handed the printout of the description to her friend. Call of the Soul, Motanka, was the name printed on the paper. Hanya had to work really hard to conceal the eye roll that the name of this workshop inspired in her because she was a very kind, generous, yet no-nonsense woman and believed that good deeds were more important than fancy words and ideas. And deep down, she might have never thought about what call of the soul would even look like to her. However, seeing how excited Joan was about this concept for her, she smiled and thanked her and promised to attend. And now, sitting on the bus as it moved smoothly through the night, her eyes settled on her bag, which held a bundle of fabric that was brought from Poland to America by her late grandmother so many years ago. She recalled the few days before their family's departure and all the packing and preparation for such a big life-changing move. They each could only take two suitcases per person, which might seem like a lot to travel, but not that much for taking with you if it's your entire life's belongings. Her grandmother insisted on bringing this bundle of fabric. She sacrificed the space of a pair of dress shoes to make room for the fabric. Nobody understood why this was so important to her, but the woman wouldn't budge. It's important to have cloths like this from home. They are remnants of our lives and will bring blessings to us and remind us of who we are, she said as she tucked the fabrics into her suitcase. Deep in thought and memories of her grandmother, Hanya almost missed her stop. Thankfully, the kind bus driver remembered where she needed to go and announced the stop loud enough for her to hear and get out just in time. When she arrived at the event, the room was pretty full. All the spots at the main table were taken and the women sitting there were talking loudly and laughing. It seemed that many knew each other or were very good at making new friends. The only seat that was left was at a small table in the corner of the room. She ended up sitting next to a young, slightly frazzled looking woman who was alone at the corner table. Her round face, rosy cheeks and freckles made her look much younger than she probably was. The young woman moved over excitedly to make more room for Hanya and her bag. Oh, I'm so relieved you're here, she said, not too loudly, looking around cautiously. I was so worried I would be sitting here all alone. My name is Poppy. That is a lovely name. I'm Hanya, and I'm happy that you are more at ease now not to be sitting alone. Hanya extended her hand to the young woman who took it eagerly. Are you of Slavic descent? Poppy asked. Yes, I am, Hanya answered. I was born in Poland and came with my parents and grandmother when I was just seven. Oh, you actually lived there. How wonderful, Poppy said, her eyes growing wide and curious. Do you remember much? Do you speak Polish? You don't have an accent. Hanya laughed at the many questions. This Poppy was very sweet indeed, but clearly a talker. Yes, I do remember a few things still, and though my Polish is pretty choppy, I can squeeze out a sentence or two if need be. And how about you? Is your family from Poland or Ukraine or other? Oh, no, I was adopted and never met my bio family, but have always been so curious about my unknown lineage. My mom bought me a DNA kit for my 21st birthday this year, and I found that I'm mostly Eastern European, 
Polish, Ukrainian, and Lithuanian with a little bit of Irish. When I saw this workshop was happening, I knew I had to attend. I've been waiting to connect with my ancestors my whole life. And now knowing my heritage, it is possible. Poppy said happily, longingly staring into space, tears beginning to form in her light blue eyes. That's wonderful, Hanya said cheerfully, not wanting the young woman's clearly sensitive nature to drive her into tears so soon after their meeting. And what a lovely gift from your mom, she added. Poppy sniffled in agreement, smiling through her water-filled eyes. Okay, let's begin, the workshop leader said loudly, her voice rising above the chattering women. Get your fabrics out and ready. You can organize them if you haven't done so yet while I talk about the process. Hopefully you brought only organic materials, cotton, linens, wool. Your motanka will appreciate nature's fabrics most, she went on. And remember, no needles or scissors can touch the finished doll, tying and wrapping only. We don't want to poke fate as we create our soul motankas. Hanya dug into her bag of scraps. At the bottom was the bundle her grandmother brought from Poland. It was carefully tied with a bright red and white embroidered ribbon. She felt strangely sad thinking that this bundle of fabric so lovingly tied together by her grandmother was never looked at by her mother or by herself until today. She smelled the cloth it was wrapped in, inhaling the soft scent of a cedar-lined drawer. She untied it and opened it to reveal dozens of fabric pieces and woven ribbons of all kinds and colors, of patterns and textures. The fabric seemed to jump out of the bundle, excited to be free and now visible to the world. Hanya's table space was now a colorful mountain of possibility and memories. She couldn't help but smile wildly at this pile before her. This was a real treasure. She began to understand why her grandmother insisted so fiercely on bringing this with her. Wow, look at all those colors and the embroidery, Poppy exclaimed much louder than Hanya felt was appropriate, making the other women look in their direction. The workshop instructor came over to inspect what the excitement was all about. Indeed, these fabrics are exquisite, she said original stitching and the traditional goddess patterns with the birds and flowers, that these belong to your family. Hanya was taken back by the attention and the beauty of the fabrics before her as she gazed at them and felt like she was going back in time with memories they held. Yes, they were gathered by my grandmother who brought them here when we immigrated from Poland when I was a girl. What a precious gift from your grandmother and perfect for your motanka, the instructor mused and added loudly as she walked away so the rest of the woman could hear. If you are lucky enough to have fabric that belonged to your family, it is best for the motanka. Extra love and protection will be infused into your creation. I wish I had something from my family, Poppy said quietly looking at her colorful and mostly new fabrics in front of her. Oh, Poppy, what you brought is beautiful. Look at all those bright flower patterns and laces. Your botanka will be lovely, I have no doubt. Hanya encouraged the young woman who nodded in agreement and began to gather the appropriate pieces to assemble the doll. A soft, quiet stillness came over the room as the women busied themselves with choosing the fabrics, threads, and yarns for their motankas. Remember, listen to what the motanka wants. Let her choose the fabrics. Don't do what might look right. Do what feels right, the instructor was saying. 
it's your soul's calling that is making this motanka. So listen to her. Under normal circumstances, Hanya would be chuckling under her breath at such words. But in this moment, looking at her grandmother's fabrics, feeling their softness and smelling their sweetness, she felt unusually open to this creative process. Slowly, she let her hands glide through the textures, her gaze soft on the flowers and colors, spreading like a summer field in front of her. The head and main body of her motanka wanted to be a piece of soft cream linen tied with golden yellow yarn. The shirt, a sky blue cotton with tiny purple stars. The skirt, a rainbow striped fabric, which Hanya remembered was part of her dress when she was a small girl. The head covering was a white lace with red bird embroidery on the edges. The matanka seemed to be almost complete and she came together surprisingly easily for Hanya, but there was something else she needed, not sure what. Hanya kept looking at the fabrics in front of her, asking as instructed for what might show up. She picked up the pieces one by one, making sure she didn't miss one in her original browse. There were just so many pieces here. What's that one? It's so pretty, Poppy said while pointing to a bright colored piece sitting on Hanya's lap. Oh, this one must have fallen out, Hanya said as she pulled the cloth from her lap. Looking closer, and feeling the fabric between her fingers, she realized that this was a piece of her grandmother's apron, colorfully embroidered with beautiful flowers. Hanya tried hard to hold back her tears as so many wonderful, equally colorful memories flooded her as she held this piece of cloth. One memory especially vivid in her mind of her, her mother and grandmother still in Poland, sitting on a field in the summer with the sun high up in the sky. The three of them were preparing herbs for drying, pulling the leaves and flowers apart from the stalks. Hanya was running around her grandmother and placing random field flowers in her apron until it was full. Her grandmother got up, pulling the apron together and chased little Hanya into her mother's arms and then tossed the flowers up from her apron and onto her granddaughter who laughed and laughed. Summer's bounty for my little beauty, she said smiling the soft lines around her eyes wrinkling happily. Hanya sat with this piece of fabric in her hand, holding it to her heart. What's happening? Are you okay, Hanya? Poppy leaned in tenderly, sensing an emotional moment emanating from her new friend. It's okay if you feel like crying. I cry all the time. Besides, the Motanka might want your tears as a blessing. I have read about that somewhere, she added with authority. Hanya wiped her eyes with the back of her hand and smiled at Poppy. I have to say this is most unexpected. This piece was my grandmother's apron and it's making me feel so close to her and to my childhood back home, Hanya said, which surprised her because she didn't really think or refer to Poland as her home since it was such a long time ago that she's lived here. Your grandmother is with you, Poppy said, her blue eyes beginning to fill with tears. Hanya nodded again, unable to say much, but feeling that Poppy was right. I think my motanka needs an apron, don't you think? She asked the young woman who nodded. Realizing that the lovely piece was way too big for one motanka doll, Hanya gently ripped the soft cloth in two, as was allowed, according to the making of motanka rules, and gave one of the pieces to Poppy. For your motanka. So she has something from your ancestral home, she said, smiling.
Oh no, I could never accept it. It was your grandmother's, you should keep it. Poppy tried giving it back to Hanya immediately. I insist it is for you. My grandmother was a kind and sharing woman and she would want you to have it. And I think your Motanka would love it, don't you? Poppy nodded thoughtfully, slowly. Yes, yes, she really would and so would I. This is incredibly kind of you and so special to me. This means more to me than you know. Poppy's words spilled like a fountain of gratitude and tears ran down her face. Thank you. Hanya was so moved by the girl's gratitude of this simple gesture that even she couldn't keep herself from crying. Tears are good, the instructor said as she walked by the two of them. Tears mean your motanka is almost ready. And now all that is left to do is to adorn her with a small gift. A gift, Hanya thought. She didn't remember this part or maybe she didn't read the instructions. That was more like it. She looked at Poppy who was digging into her basket of goodies and pulled out a small box of beads. What is this gift for? She asked Poppy. Oh, it's a gift for the Botanka. Don't you have anything? I missed this part. I didn't bring anything, I'm afraid, Hanya laughed. Oh, please let me give you one of my beads. I make them. I would be delighted to offer you one. Poppy's face lit up brightly and she began to rummage through her box of treasures. After some time, she pulled out a poppy red bead with a yellow and orange heart painted on it. It was a gorgeous piece. She seemed to pick the best one she had and handed it over to Hanya. Oh dear, this is gorgeous. Thank you so much. Just perfect for my motanka, Hanya said as she tied the bead around the doll's waist. Now she was truly complete. After the workshop ended, Hanya and Poppy walked together towards the bus station. Their motankas happily and carefully bundled in their bags. Poppy asked Hanya all kinds of questions about Polish food and songs and traditions, to which Hanya had all kinds of answers and shared gratefully. Hanya invited Poppy for a future cooking date and the young woman accepted with glee. Before departing, the women hugged for a long time in the cold, windy Chicago night. I am so happy you were late and sat with me, Poppy sniffed. I think our grandmothers who have not met somehow put us together, she said. Hanya didn't know what to say to this, but nodded and squeezed Poppy a little tighter before letting her go. You promise you will come over? I will not take no for an answer. I promise, I truly promise and I can't wait, Poppy said before she got on the bus waving a generous goodbye through the bus window at the smiling Hanya. Soon after Poppy's bus left, Hanya's bus arrived just in time. Pretty empty now as it was past nine o'clock. Hanya found a spot close to the driver and sat happily looking at the bundle in her bag where the face of her motanka glowed softly. The call of my soul, she thought, and she couldn't help but laugh. Thinking of Joan, of sweet Poppy, and of her beautiful wise grandmother who taught Hanya how to be kind, generous, and caring. She taught Hanya how to be the helping hand in a dark world, and this is who Hanya was at the core and deep into her being, deep into her soul. This evening surprisingly illuminated this truth for Hanya in a way she has not seen. This truth brought tears of joy to her eyes and warmed her heart in deep gratitude. It's a lovely story of 
two souls finding each other in such beautiful circumstances. Thank you. Thank you. It was very beautiful. And now I really want to take a doll workshop. <laughs> you never know what could happen or who you might meet. <laughs> That's the power of the motanka. And what exactly does motanka mean? Motanka is a there are dolls that are made without um, with any scissors or needles or any sewing, but they are motac, that word in Polish and Ukrainian means to kind of fasten together. So they're literally fastened, tied from scraps of fabric, natural fabric you'd have around the house. And they're made in some ways for children out of their mother's clothing and they're left with the child if the mother would go and work in the field that the child would have something that smells like her if they're left in somebody else's care but also they are very magical and made with intention they are made for all kinds of purposes protection blessing mostly blessing and they are connected to the goddess the the goddess and the mother and earth which is why all the elements are linens cottons and often they're filled with herbs or grains mm. Did you feel a closeness with Hanya yourself? I did. I felt a closeness with Hanya. And I felt a real closeness with her grandmother as if she was my own grandmother. Though I don't, I feel a closeness for Hanya, but I wouldn't have rolled my eyes at the things that Hanya would roll her eyes at. So there was a, <laughs> a little bit of a difference. Even if she did roll her eyes at those things, though, she kept that roll of fabric for decades and never even opened it. That's kind of amazing. Till the time and the moment was needed. Yeah. It's a, a beautiful legacy of caring, women caring for each other, too, that's passed down through these women and this story and the goddess behind all of that yeah I also love that the two women met and how they met and now I know why Poppy wanted to be Poppy and not Emma because when I first started writing the story <laughs> Poppy was Emma <laughs> but then I was like no that's not quite right I don't know why it's <laughs> funny yeah. all these beautiful magical dolls and the, the, the fabric being passed down kept pulling a thought in my mind because my ex-husband's grandmother, when she died, left me a quilt that her mother had made out of her grandmother's dresses. Mm. And it made me like just sort of abstractly wonder about the many ways that we take that maternal fabric line and mm -hmm. pass it down to our children. Yeah. It was to give my son, I'm sure. It wasn't personally for me, but <laughs> still it was that, that idea of passing down the lineage through the fabric. It's part of that sacred weaving, sacred cloth. And the magical aspect of cloth worn by a person, being able to carry something of them, a connection to them, and possibly attributes of theirs, quite magical. I'm also struck by the difference of the styles of dolls, like the dolls in my story, scissors and needles and things like that were used. I'm 
intrigued by the traditions around the magical dolls also. The Motankas have a huge history and custom and but none of them can, you, you can use needles or scissors on the actual doll. There's even traditions around whether or not you can cut the fabric they're made with, or, you know, it can be ripped. Um, some believe that you can embroider a piece of cloth and that can be utilized, but any kind of a sharp, because they're connected to your fate and to your family's fate, you don't want to poke that with a needle or, or scissors, so. You're very careful when making these because you're in the fate line assembly process mm -hmm. or assistance process. So you wanna be cautious about that. Mm -hmm. But I love that the doll and her many forms and their many forms are present probably in every culture. And well, people know about the different kinds of dolls that are used maybe for injury. It's beautiful to explore the dolls that are used for love, for health, for well-being, for inspiration. And that's definitely the direction that I, all of us went with these dolls. Yeah, it's a good way to go. <laughs> dolls that connect us, dolls that inspire us. We hope that the listener, if they feel so called, make their own doll or find a special doll that will inspire and care for them. Without peeling up too many floorboards. Of too many what? Floorboards. Without peeling up too many floorboards. <laughs> right. Right. And maybe some week we'll do a story on what's beneath the floorboards. <laughs> Other than dolls. Other than dolls. <laughs> so many things under the floorboards. Until then. Yes, not tonight. Not tonight. Have a lovely week. And special thanks to the fantastic Zoe Magic for her phenomenal editing skills.